Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Seeds of Triumph podcast. We are all about helping service members navigate through the difficult and challenging experiences that come with serving in the military. Here on Seeds of Triumph, we will discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as provide several resources, techniques, and coping mechanisms that can be used every day to instill overall toughness, wellness, and resiliency into our military force. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy what we have to provide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Seeds of Triumph podcast. Today, we are talking to Naval Reserve Officer and former captain of the USS Scout and CEO of the Chimney Trail Company, Commander Matthew Brown. We are also joined by the co-founder of the Chimney Trail, Brad Markey, who is a former professional baseball player. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, thank thank you guys for making time out of your day to talk to me about your company, as well as have this conversation about the mental health care crisis in the military and really just, you know, worldwide or nationwide, rather. Um, so without further ado, um, if you don't mind, can you both just share a little bit about yourself, your background, you know, and what got you to this point in your lives and your careers? Yeah, so I'm Matt Brown. Um and what got me here? Well, I'm a, I'm a dad, first and foremost. I have three young daughters. They're 11, 9, and 7. Uh, and so most of the work that I do at Chimney Trail, I would be lying if I didn't admit that it's through that lens. It's we need to create some mental health solutions for our next generation because what we're seeing, uh, if you do like a scientific analysis of uh, our mental health right now, it's not a good news story. So we want to create solutions for our kids and leave the campsite better than we found it. So I'm a dad, I'm a husband, um, I'm a, a former active duty Naval officer. I had command of USS Scout. Uh, it was an early command tour in San Diego on one of our Navy's fine countermeasure ships. Uh, and my experiences on that ship are actually the, the genesis of the Chimney Trail project. Um, so we had a, a tremendously talented young officer who a couple months after I left command, I learned that he had taken his own life. Uh, and I went to visit with his parents while he was in the hospital because he didn't pass away uh, immediately. And I talked to his parents and they brought up a team building exercise that we took where we went to Yosemite National Park and climbed Cathedral Peaks together. Uh, and his dad was bragging that his son uh, really got a lot out of that trip. And then he shook me by the shoulders and he said, why didn't I do these things with my son? Why didn't I do these things with my beautiful son? And on the way home from, uh, from that visit, I called my wife and I said, I know we were talking about uh, a long Navy career, uh, but there is sort of a challenge that the Department of Defense is facing right now in tending to the mental health care needs of its people. And we got to do something like right away. Uh, so I called her first and she said, Hey, we, yeah, we have to do this. Uh, and then my very next phone call was to Brad and our co-founders, uh, to set this up. Uh, Brad's actually my cousin uh, and we've been each other's first phone call for a long time. And so it was just natural to continue the conversation with him. Uh, and between those two phone calls, um, although we lost a dear friend that day, Chimney Trail was born. And so that's how I'm sitting here today. 
Wow, that's that's such a great story. All right, what about you, Brad? Um, Brad Markey. Um, if I'm following Matthew's outline, I'm an uncle. <laughs> I'm a boyfriend, and I'm a former professional baseball player. Um, I was with the Chicago Cubs for five and a half years, the Cincinnati Reds for half a year, and the Detroit Tigers for a year. I um, ended up getting hurt a couple years ago, so that put my career on pause, I guess we could say. Um, but how I got involved is, like Matthew said, when I got that phone call, he was talking about how, you know, the person that took his own life, um, he never would have expected it would have been that person. And, you know, he, he didn't know if it was his leadership. He didn't know if he just missed some things. And knowing Matthew my entire life and how supportive he's been in my career, in my baseball, um, and being my first phone call to help me out whenever I need it, it wouldn't make sense for me not to start Chimney Trail with him because um, I know it was none of those things. It was just something that happened. And seeing it in the professional baseball um, side, there are guys where they have major league careers, they have these big signing bonuses, but that still isn't enough if you're dealing with mental issues and some people can hide it better than others. Um, so to, to start chimney trail with him made sense because I wanted to prove to him that it wasn't him. Um, it was something bigger that I think we can solve. And that's how I'm here now. I love that. Thank you both. Um, that's such a beautiful story. And, and Brad, I think it's going to be great, you know, to share your perspective, um, regarding, you know, your, your lens through being a professional baseball player, because, you know, from my lens, all right, I see it as such a, a glamorous thing. And people think, you know, they have all this money and, you know, they're, they get all this attention, you know, their life must be great. Um, but that's not really the case. And it's really important to kind of go behind the scenes and have those real conversations about what's really going on. So yeah, thank you both. Um, let's talk about chimney trail and really like what it is. Um, cause I know at this point, our listeners, if they haven't heard about it might be wondering. Yeah. So chimney trail is a, is like a alternative way of delivering some super traditional treatment for mental illness. And really it's not just like treating mental illness. It's also, uh, inspiring what you might call, uh, mental strength and conditioning you know, mental fitness, maybe, I don't know, we'll have to come up with a good term for it. But um, the idea is that when you are faced with a challenge, uh, and you think you are suffering from a mental illness, like pathological level of anxiety or depression, the first thing that you do is you, you seek somebody who is a licensed clinical social worker, or a psychologist, or a psychiatrist, or something to that effect, you, you get yourself like, in the mental health care pipeline. And for anybody that's experienced that pipeline, even with telehealth services that are more available now than they were, you know, maybe five years ago, uh, it's hard to find a, a clinician to step you through like treating yourself. Um, but what, what we do at Chimney Trail is we take the first step of that treatment continuum, which is the introduction of something called cognitive behavioral therapy. And we make it available to people so that they can do it in a self-paced, like very low barrier to entry sort of way. 
uh, and we expose them to cognitive behavioral therapy through little outdoor adventures. So while they're learning about cognitive behavioral therapy, they're also experiencing some problem-solving therapy. And between the two of those, they are able to reframe negative thoughts and emotions that they're experiencing. Uh, and it's all in a very scientifically vetted uh, methodology. Uh, so you don't need to worry about like, oh, am I taking like, like the physical health equi- or like strength equivalent would be like, am I taking a bad supplement? This is like, no, this isn't a bad supplement. This is the stuff that your uh, mental health care professionals leverage every single time they see somebody new. And what we're trying to do is make it so that they can do it before they need the treatment, do it before you need it. So, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. To your point, um, Matt, I can attest to that. Um, when I first sought out therapy, one of the first things, actually I, I received therapy on a few separate occasions. Um, the first was me trying to explore, you know, why I was having some extreme emotional thoughts, like extreme anger, Um, and so I went and I saw, uh, she was a licensed clinical social worker. And the first thing that she brought up to me was cognitive behavioral therapy. And so my inquisitive nature, I, uh, went, you know, what is that? And I didn't really go too much into it because our sessions were in person and she kind of guided me through those things. But then on the other side of it, when I, you know, went through my traumas in the military and I sought out a, um, military psychologist, he brought back up that cognitive behavioral therapy technique. And his approach was to have me download this app and write down my thoughts. And I thought, this is strange. You know, uh, I I could do this on my own, right? Like I, I'm expecting, you know, something else from you as a psychologist. Um, and so it really was just, uh, eye-opening for me that I could do something like that from my phone. Um, and at this time it was during COVID. So we were, it was virtual too. So I had him, you know, on speaker on my cell phone and I'm downloading stuff. And I was like, wow, this is a therapy session. Like, I feel like you don't need to be that credentialed to do this, but <laughs> anywho, I just wanted to share that, uh, anecdote, you know, to play onto your point that, that was my experience and it actually was helpful. So yeah, you, you hit something that is really important. So first of all, for any listeners that aren't familiar with what cognitive behavioral therapy is, uh, it is a method of helping you to analyze your thoughts. So your feelings don't just materialize out of nowhere. Like feelings aren't, they don't exist unto themselves. You have to have a cognition in order to create a feeling. And if the feeling ends up being particularly problematic, like it's rage or you know profound sadness or hopelessness or any of those sorts of things, it's it, those rage and hopelessness and sadness at that level don't just come out of nowhere. Something creates it. And so what that writing stuff down does is allows for you to figure out what was the thought that I was thinking before I had that feeling. And then most of the time, if you look at the sort of thought that you're having that creates those really bad mental states, you would come back to it maybe 24 hours later and look at the thought and realize that it is wildly illogical. Like you'll, you'll get into like a fit of sadness and feel like you're a failure in life 
because you failed a math test. Like, it's like, no, you just failed a math test. You're not a failure in life, you know? And in the military context, it might be, hey, I was really trying to, you know, pass the E7 exam and become a chief petty officer in the U.S. Navy, and I failed. That means I'm a life failure. Well, no, it doesn't. It means that you failed the E7 exam, and we have to we have to go back and take that again. You know, it's like, it's way less problematic after you've had a chance to write it down and analyze it. And so cognitive behavioral therapy, the research that's gone into it has identified 10 distortions that you, that people generally suffer from. And you don't need to be like categorically mentally ill to suffer from these. These are like the most common human things imaginable, but there's 10 of them, uh, all or nothing thinking. It's like where you, uh, there's no, there's no like gray area. It's, it's either I'm a complete failure or I'm, you know, I never fail. Like there's nothing real in, in, which is most of life, which is in the middle. Uh, there's jumping to conclusions, meaning because this thing happened to me one time, it's destined to happen the exact same way. All the other times, uh, there's overgeneralization where you, uh, take, you know, one, thing. And then, uh, like, let's say it's like the root of all sexism and racism and ageism. You basically assign, uh, like stereotypical properties to things that don't merit them. Uh, there's magnification and minimization where you just blow things way out of context. Uh, there's something called mental filtering where even like, if you're having a bad day, even if something good happens, you'll automatically filter out that good thing. Um, disqualifying the positive is sort of like an extension of that. The one that gets a lot of military folks is something called personalization and self-blame. So it's like taking all of the world's problems and then just deciding that somehow you, without any means of necessarily controlling it, uh, are just going to own that and, and be depressed by the fact that this problem exists. Uh, another one that we always fall victim to is is the should complex, where you're yeah, and maybe this is a derivative of boot camp. I don't know, but you're constantly thinking about what you should or you ought to be doing, and you do it to the point where it like is debilitating. Emotional reasoning is another one where uh, you think that something's true just because you think it, which is I think we all know not to be true. Uh, and then last but not least is uh, labeling, which is sort of like an extension of that overgeneralization property. And labeling is again like the root of all. Uh, you know, misogyny, sexism, ageism, racism, uh, all those sorts of things. So people have brains that are sort of wired to fit within a community. Uh, and then sometimes you can actually overshoot the mark and suffer from these distortions. And CBT helps you to recognize your thinking each, like if you're suffering from one of those distortions, you can nip it in the bud, so to speak, because you, you know about them. Whereas I don't know about you, but I went to the Naval Academy. We went through plebe summer. Um, we didn't talk about cognitive distortions. We didn't talk about, hey, you're very likely to be stressed and tremendously anxious through this lifestyle that you've stepped off on. We should really talk about how brains work and how cognitions you know, result in feelings that you have control of. So anyway, that's CBT in a nutshell. You know, as, as you were explaining that to me, I was like, I can relate to all of those things. Yes. <laughs> and to your point about, you know, learning about how the brain works, that's so important. And I talk about it in my own story of recovery and overcoming is like, 
as soon as I was experiencing these feelings, I needed to know why, because I never experienced it before. Um, as you know, this doesn't make sense for me. Why, why am I having these thoughts? And so I picked up books to learn about the brain and how it works. And it just made so much more sense. And then as you talked about, um, you know, the cognitive behavioral, behavioral therapy, um, what did you call them? The 10, um, uh, cognitive distortions. Yes. The 10 cognitive distortions. I, it's like, you know, we all have a brain, we're all humans. And it's like the, our life experiences probably play a part in why we have those distortions. Um, and so it's almost like looking at yourself in the mirror. It seems like, you know, when, when we say use the app or write it down, well, when you're doing that, you're kind of putting a mirror in your face and you're saying, Hey, this, this is what's going on. And you're taking the time out to really process that. And from a logical perspective, get through it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Your listeners probably can't see it, but Bradley and I are over here like shaking our heads up and down. (laughs) Yes. What, What you're describing is, is it. And then, you know, the other thing that you pointed out where, where you're like, you know, hey, I thought a psychologist would do more than like make me type in an app and then read what I type. Um, th- the reason for that is that in cognitive behavioral therapy in particular, there's a lot of uh, research that shows that if you enter a CBT curriculum in a spirit of self-help, so you're going to it thinking, hey, look, I'm here, you're my coach, and you're going to coach me on how to do this, but I'm here for me. I'm showing up for me to be a healthier, happier version of myself, and, but I'm, I'm going to do the work. If you come to it with that mindset, uh, the research suggests that you're going to be wildly successful. Like It's going to be a much better experience for you. So a lot of times it does feel like, well, wait a minute, what's the person actually doing? And what they're doing is creating a space for you to sort of do the work. Uh, and not be disturbed. Like your psychologist doesn't necessarily need to be telling you a bunch of stuff. They could just put your life in airplane mode, so to speak, so that you're not distracted and can kind of get down to business of analyzing your own thoughts and then controlling your feelings by doing so. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Um, So how does the chimney trail deliver this service or provide this opportunity and who who can take advantage of it and how? Well, Brad runs product. You want to take that one, man? Yeah. Everyone can take advantage of it right now. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a little pitch. If you go to our website. <laughs> uh, so the way we deliver it is, like Matthew said before, we package everything in a little kit. And we try to make it as simple as possible to introduce this to everybody. Um, so when you're a subscriber of our kits, every quarter you'll get a new kit that has our waypoint, which is the activity you do outside. And you'll have a booklet that explains um, which distortion you're going to be talking about and which distortion the activity is going to go with. And the reason we do the outdoor activity is so that when you're in an outdoor environment, your brain is kind of primed for an indelible memory and you'll be able to revert back to that booklet and remember what distortion you're trying to tackle and how to overcome that distortion. And along with those activities in booklet, it's some premium gear that makes the activity a lot of fun. So um, right now we're trying to work with the DOD to put this in the hands of every Marine and eventually every service member. But we don't want them to get this kit and be like, oh, this is just something else that 
they're sending us that they want us to do. And it's not very fun. We want them to open it up and be like, wow, I feel like a sponsored athlete. And I guess that's kind of where I come in is because I've been there and I know that feeling and everyone should feel that because it's awesome. So when they open up the kit, not only will be like, wow, this gear is awesome, but now we're encouraging them to actually do the activity and to learn about CBT because that's the most important thing, like Matthew was saying, is people can tell you to do it all the time, but until you actually commit to doing it, that's when like the magic happens. And that's when, you know, you start to see, you do one kit, you understand it, you do another one, you start to feel a little bit better. And then once you get through our curriculum or even just a little bit through our curriculum, you'll start to see, hey, like I'm thinking differently. I'm a little bit happier. Like things aren't as bad as I thought they were. And that's the positive and reinforcement we want people to have every time they do our activities. That's awesome. Um, so I'll ask the question that I'm sure, you know, some people might be wondering, and I can guarantee you guys have probably been asked this before, like, what makes you qualified to give this service? You know, I have a, a formal, former baseball player and a, um, you know, military Navy officer, like, you know, we didn't talk about education. Um, so if you guys do have like a PhD in psychology or any of those qualifications, stop me now. But assuming that you don't, can you kind of answer like, you know, how you guys develop this, right? And kind of what makes you qualified to, to do it? It's a, it's a super important question. And the answer is that Bradley and I are absolutely not qualified to give you any sort of, uh, I, neither of us are psychologists. We're not licensed clinical social workers. We're, we're businessmen. And what we identified was a massive gap in the market, which is giving people the tools they need to overcome cognitive distortions before they need it. So right now, if you analyze this problem, particularly in the Department of Defense, you'll see that there is a massive demand signal for mental health care. And there are only so many licensed clinical social workers, psychologists, and psychiatrists that exist. So we said, how are we going to get people the care that they need? And one of the ways that you can do it is to like create an environment where people have access to telehealth services. Like you dial in with a psychologist and you, so you have your therapist, right? But even that requires a human being on the other end of that conversation. So what Brad and I did was we went to the psychiatrists and psychologists and we're like, hey, CBT seems like something that we should already know about. Like, why are we waiting until we talk to you to learn about it? And all, like 100% of them came back to us and they said, please, like, please go share CBT. Like, get out there and make sure everybody knows about it. Do not let them have a, a clinical problem before they learn about these cognitive distortions. You do not need a PhD to learn about how your brain works. You don't need a PhD to read a book and implement the lessons that the book is trying to teach you. And like you said, when you first started your, your CBT journey, you read a little bit about it. Well, wouldn't it have been nice to have read a little bit about it five years before you needed it? And so our curriculum, uh, initially, we designed it for children uh, because I don't know how many adults you've had success in changing, but we know it's way harder to change a grown up. <laughs> so we said, look, right. we're, we're going to focus on the kids. And we developed an amazing curriculum for children with the help of uh, Johns Hopkins University's lead uh, 
pediatric researcher and professor. Uh, and then we started looking more closely at near-term Department of Defense challenges and realized that what we were building had immediate application like for troops. And we said, we just got to like blow this up. And so it, we're not clinicians, not by a long shot, uh, but all of the doctors that we work with, of which there are many, have essentially said, hey, look, we've got all the research to make a real dent in the problem of pathological suicide or pathological anxiety, depression, and ultimately suicide. We just sort of need a captain to like make it so. And so Bradley and I were like, we know how to do that. Let's go do it. <laughs> and really what we're replacing is computer-based training that nobody is going to want to do because it's terrible. Like the Department of Defense just commissioned a study. It's called the Suicide Prevention and Response Independent Review Committee Report. And mm -hmm. in it, read that. Yeah. You, okay, so you read it. Great. Mm -hmm. And may, maybe some of your listeners have read it too, but it is a comprehensive document and it talks about everything that we should be doing as a force in order to prevent the next suicide. And there's 157 recommendations in there. Of them, there's a two dozen or so that are like emergent, you got to do it now. Uh, and what we've created is essentially a response to that demand signal. So the doctors are calling for it. We know that uh, one of the quotes that's in there that, you know, you might find, I don't know what the right, it's terrible. The, the quote is terrible, but it's true. And it's that across all ranks, across all services, across all bases, every single person feels like the existing suicide prevention training that we have is just a check in the box. It's not meant to move the needle in any sort of material way and actually save a life. Uh, so rather than Bradley and I being doc doctors, we just went and teamed up with a bunch of doctors and were people of action. So we created a product that can be delivered to you uh, that is not some janky computer-based training that's going to like sputter out when you're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean on patrol. And it's also just not a product that we're like, oh, yeah, this will work. It's a product that we use with our own families. Like yeah, we genuinely true. enjoy doing them. So we know like if we're enjoying it, other people are probably going to enjoy it because we put a lot of time and effort into making sure that it's fun and it doesn't feel like something clinical when you're doing it. You're almost tricking yourself into getting a little therapy session with yourself while you're doing the activity. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And so um, that report that you were talking about, Matt, it, uh, it was the committee that wrote the report, right, and did the research was established by the Secretary of Defense, correct? That's correct. Yeah, so it yeah, was to, to congressionally mandated. So Congress said, Secretary of Defense, you will commission a, a committee of people of independent backgrounds so that they don't come to the problem with a bunch of preconceived notions. We want them to be like independently vetted, bring them to the table and have them research this problem for a year. We're going to give you like two and a half million bucks in order to do it. And they did it. Um, and then these were the results. Okay. And so I wanted to make that uh, connection and establishment for the audience, right? Because I feel like that shows that at the congressional level, they see that this problem exists and they are doing something about it, but it just takes time. So then I want to circle it back to what you two are doing with the chimney trail company. 
and providing this uh, cognitive behavioral therapy resource as like doing something now, like what can I do now, right? Because of this issue to help. And I think that is phenomenal and awesome. And it's, it's, you know, my same goal, right? Is what can I do now within my scope to provide this help that people need? Because I also wanted to say, as you know, you were speaking, Matt, my, my brain was going a thousand miles per hour. I wanted to say that like, yeah, we, we associate this cognitive behavioral therapy with the medical field, right? With psychiatrists, with uh, psychologists, with the social workers that to have these uh, credentials. But like, as I just heard from you, Matt, you really don't need that. And you have the backing of these people with those credentials to say that. And so I feel like, you know, it, it would be awesome. And I hope that we get there to see it as a self-help resource. Like we have the Calm app and the Balance app, right? Where you can go on there and do guided meditations and practice these wellness techniques. And if we can put right? It sounds like CBT in that same category. We might be able to kind of change the the view around it and, and get it out there um, for, for more people to utilize. So um, I'd love to see it called like something else besides therapy. <laughs> that might help. Yeah. But um, essentially, that's what it is, right? Um, well, you know, you hit on something really important. We're, we're called chimney trail for a reason, uh, rather than I don't know, like some pharmaceutical sounding name, right? You know, there's a lot of healthcare companies that exist and ultimately Chimney Trail is a healthcare company. But when we were building the, when we were building it, we were thinking, you know, for better or for worse, there can be a stigma around accessing care and engaging with a therapist or whatever the case might be, whether it's a religious issue or whether it's a personality related thing, it's not always a good fit. And so it is nice if you could just tackle it on your own. Uh, but what Bradley and I were talking about is that it seems to us that most everybody, if you were to go on a trip, whether it's like a travel trip, or like, if you wanted to go fishing somewhere, or something like that, and you hire a guide, you put trust in that guide, right? So there's this outdoor theme, uh, there's a, a trust in your guide. And then ultimately, if you do the curriculum, you sort of become your own guide, you know, you're able to walk, you step yourselves down this trail and walk out the other side, not suffering from the cognitive distortions that can really rip through you in a demanding lifestyle like we're presented in the in the military. Yeah. And and being your own personal guide, it's it's so it's like a discipline thing, right? It's so important that we're able to do that, to be our own guide, right? And to have that discipline to take care of ourselves. So it sounds like it could almost instill that discipline. And, you know, as military members and a professional baseball player, I'd say, you know, Brad probably has more uh, discipline skills <laughs> than, than both of us combined, given, you know, his, his, uh, his, background. And so I actually wanted to bring the conversation back to you, Brad. So maybe you can provide your perspective from the professional athlete realm, um, because Matt and I right, are talking about suicide prevention programs and research and the Department of Defense. Um, but from your lens, right, as a as a professional um, baseball player, what what is the climate in that um, in that group? You know, is is there a stigma there? Um, are people 
you know, feeling the effects uh, of stress and anxiety? Um, are they hesitant to, to get care? Are they, you know, ashamed if they get care? And, you know, do you have any success stories of, of any, um, you know, athletes um, who, who use this resource? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I would never compare the professional athlete to the military lifestyle because, you know, it's not a life or death situation for the athlete. But there, are, there is a lot of overlap where, um, like you said, you are disciplined, you train all year long for your sport. Um, there are times, like you were saying, uh, people find the athlete like a glamorous lifestyle. Well, you're picturing the multi-million dollar contracts that are given to the major leaguers. And no one thinks about the minor leaguers that are trying to get there. Um, if they didn't get a signing bonus, a big signing bonus, they can't fly their families out whenever they want to see them. Um, we have players from other countries that will come over here for years at a time and they won't see their families for two, three, four years because they'll go to spring training, they'll go to the season and there'll be another camp where they have to say, stay throughout the off season. And then the next season starts. So the stress does weigh down on them. And, um, I've seen a lot of careers end um, because they just couldn't handle the stress. You know, I saw guys that deserve to be in the major leagues making all that money and they just couldn't handle it. They didn't have a good outlet. They didn't have a good support system. You know, your teammates try to support you as much as you can, but if you're not showing other signs of that, you need more support. It's really hard for somebody to pick up on that. Um, and I experienced it a ton where, I felt like I was on one career path that I was just going to make my way to the majors in no time and injuries, um, you know, being traded, going to different teams that major leagues just seemed further and further away, even when I got closer and closer to it. Um, so you, you do have a tough time. Um, and, success stories of using CBT. I was actually like you introduced to CBT not too long ago. Um, so during my career, I wish I had it, it would have made, you know, staying in the present worrying about today. I think that would have been more important and it would have helped me a ton versus thinking about the next game, thinking about the next season, thinking about why haven't I been called up yet. And that played a huge effect or had a huge impact on, um, my playing, like I would mess up more in the field. Um, I didn't like the person I was becoming because I was angrier all the time. I was um, like lashing out at people more, like my own family. Um, I'd have a bad game and I wouldn't want to talk to anybody because I was just basically battling with myself. And I felt like I just wasn't pleasant to be around. And it's a, this one's kind of a funny story. I was in a Colorado Springs. I had a really bad game and I felt like I just had it with baseball. I wasn't having fun. Um, I wasn't enjoying going to the field every day. And after this game, I was like, I'm done. I quit. And I guess somehow, uh, I was separating my thought with my feeling without knowing anything about CBT. I had this little pep talk to myself. It's like, no, you don't want to do that. You're just really angry right now. So I walked seven miles back to the hotel after a game. Um, I skipped the bus. It was 11 o'clock at night. I got back to the hotel room at like two in the morning. And 
my roommate was still up and he's like, where have you been? And I was like, I feel better. That's all that matters. Like I had a talk with myself. I cooled down. Um, so even before knowing about CBT, I feel like that was a success story where I didn't make this rash decision of quitting. Um, and of course it's not as extreme as other people's thoughts, but, um, I think it's important to know that it does work in small situations and it does work in really serious situations. And I'm thankful I had that talk with myself because I continued to play a little bit longer after that and coming over with, uh, or co-founding Chimney Trail, I know it works and Matthew knows it works and you know, it works. So it's just really important that we can spread this to everybody and say, it works. It may seem too simple because it is simple. That's the whole point. Nobody knows your mind better than you do. So why don't you take control of it? Yep. And it takes that, that discipline to do so. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. You, you said something, Brad, that I think is, um, we, we don't talk enough about, which is in the Department of Defense, we're trying to address this crisis of suicides that we see, whether it's military or veteran populations. There's a lot of behavior like gambling or any, any other thing that you would do impulsively. Brad was talking about not making a rash decision, like taking one more step and being able to, and maybe it's seven miles of steps, whatever it takes in order to not make the rash decision. And right now in the Department of Defense and the VA, we're dealing with preventing suicides because they're so prevalent. And what we've discovered is that you do not need to be suffering from a mental illness, like a categorical mental illness in order to commit or in order to die by suicide. You can, you can be caring about your ordinary life, suffer a, a trauma or a tragedy of some sort, and then have a, essentially an impulsive slide towards suicide where, so obviously Brad's case is much less dramatic because we're talking about a particular sporting career rather than your entire life. But by taking the next step, he was able to say, look, I'm going to, I'm going to turn down the temperature of this situation. I'll take this seven mile walk or whatever and not make a rash decision with suicide. We know that that's what it takes. It's you have to turn down the temperature on that uh, suicidal ideation that is pushing you in that direction. You might not be suffering from pathological levels of anxiety and depression. It may be literally impulsive behavior, the same as gambling or anything like that. So turning down the temperature, extending the distance between like your problematic state and doing something tragic, like taking your own life, create distance there. And that's what learning about your cognitive distortions can help you do. It basically armor, you armor up with, with uh, knowledge so you don't fall victim to it. All right. I love what you both are doing with the uh, chimney trail and cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm going to take on that charge to kind of talk more about CBT and how useful it can be because it's helped me. Um, and, and yeah, just spread the message about the chimney trail because it's great. So thank you both so much for starting this company. And I can't wait to see um, how it grows and all that you guys are going to do with it. So I wanted to talk about, you know, mental health care 
and mental fitness and resiliency in the military and more specifically um, the Navy, Matt, because that's where we have both of our experience uh, experiences in. So, you know, I talk on my show with a lot of different guests about the, the, the current crisis that we're in, um, and the Navy and, and the military with our mental health. And as I'm sure, you know, you know, we see reports way too often of sailors committing suicide aboard, um, you know, these, these ships and, you know, I can't help but wonder why, what's going on. Um, like do we not have the resources? You know, is this, is it unrelated? Is it related? And as we discussed, you know, they, they did develop a committee um, to look into and research that, but I just want to hear from you, right. And your perspective as a, as, as that commander of the, uh, of the USS Stout, right. And your other experiences in the military, where, where do you see, right, our mental health care from, I guess, when you first joined and to now? And yeah, I'll, I'll uh, not ask 50 questions at one time. <laughs> so we'll start there. <laughs> yeah. So we are going to solve this problem. That's what it, that's the bottom line. We can't afford not to. Our job is to win our nation's wars. That's what militaries do. And if you're signing up, no matter what your reason, maybe you are trying to improve your family's prospects by getting an education. Maybe you want to see the world. Maybe you want to uh, go into a particular career field where the Navy has uh, really sophisticated training that can help you out. Whatever your personal reason for joining the services, our goal is to win our nation's wars. And if you do not have a force that is capable of dealing with the rigors of military lifestyle, you can't win the nation's wars. And a really important thing to consider, because it's happening while we're talking right now, a war is being fought in Ukraine. And you, if you watch the news, you might see that Russian forces are having a very difficult time there. And if you dig in a little bit as to why they're having a difficult time, you see that it's because they don't have a sophisticated non-commissioned officer corps. So, you know, E5, E6, E7, E8, even e, I mean E9s that are in like uh, the technical areas, they do not have that initiative. Uh, that we in the United States military and NATO militaries more broadly take totally for granted. That's a huge deal because non-commissioned officers in NATO forces are the resident knowledge of an ever-changing portfolio of military capabilities. Like there's a new system, it seems like, every day now. And this core group of people needs to be familiar with those systems. And if we're, if that core group is deteriorating, then if we ever needed to bring people in that are not like if we needed to draft people because of a war, whatever the case might be, the people that we're relying on to deliver combined arms and actually eliminate enemies won't be there. So from a national security standpoint, it is essential that we solve the problem. It's a national security imperative. It's not like a giant hug fest. This is like war fighting 101. Um, so from a Navy standpoint, uh, Horatio Nelson, like, of course, you have to have some sort of like historical context, right? You think Lord Horatio Nelson, uh, why was he successful? Uh, 
was it because he was a brilliant tactician? Sure, he's probably a capable tactician. But if you read the history books, you see that he was successful because he had more guns and, relatively speaking, happier people. And in, in the U.S. Navy right now, uh, in fact, there was a 60 Minutes uh, segment on it just the other day. There's a huge focus now on making sure that the Navy has the right type of guns, the right type of weaponry, the right type of ship, that sort of thing. Um, but then, you know, the CNO was asked, you know, what is the deciding factor between us and, a, and another uh, potential adversary? And he said, it's, it's our people. So from a military service perspective, we have to make the investment in the people. We need to make sure that their mental health is cared for. Now, that, that's like from an institutional side. But there's also like, we need to meet the Navy halfway, right? We need to take care of ourselves. And if we're in a situation where we don't feel like we're taking the best care of ourselves, then we need to do something about it. So as a, as a leader of a ship or a Navy, we need to make sure that people are on watch rotations where they can get a, a reasonable amount of sleep. We have to make sure that the meals that are provided on bases and at sea or in marine units is quality, healthy stuff. We need to set the conditions such that you can live a physically healthy lifestyle. We need to make sure that there's time for PT carved out into every workday, all of those sorts of things. Because if we don't, then you see what you and I know to be true, which is we have shipmates that are subsisting on monster energy drink, porn, and nicotine. It's like you can't function reasonably well if you are bombarding your brain chemistry with caffeine, dopamine coming from a million different you know, ways, like you have to take care of yourself also. So it's a, it's a two-way street. Like the Navy needs to get real and get better about making sure that conditions at sea and ashore are conducive to proper amounts of rest and nutrition and physical activity. But then we as operators need to make sure that we are treating ourselves like the weapon system that we are and not just like pounding ourselves into the dirt with, with stuff that's screwing up our brain chemistry. And I think the marriage of those two things result in stuff like Chimney Trail. It results in stuff like the Warrior Toughness Initiative. It results in resiliency training that we're getting. And I can tell you from, I, I mean, I came into the Navy in 2000, well, 2000. Yeah, it was two, the year 2000 was my first year in the Navy. Um, the USS Cole had just been attacked. 9-11 was shortly thereafter. I was at the Naval Academy, which is like the world's premier institute for uh, like churning out leadership. And we talked about a lot of things. We talked about mental toughness, but we didn't get into like, how do you actually do that? Right. You can talk about physical toughness and do obstacle courses and push-ups and sit-ups and CrossFit now or whatever you want. But we were not given tools uh, in any sort of clinical context to make us the captain of our own mind. Uh, and that's changing. And I know it's changing too slowly, right? Like we're never going to be satisfied and nor should we be. Um, but I do think there is some cause for or cause for cautious optimism uh, because of things like the the CIPRIC report that we just talked about earlier or the Navy's new um, suicide prevention playbook, you know, all those sorts of things. Also agree with that. And I see things trending upward and in a positive trajectory because when I saw the mental health playbook came come out, 
I was so excited. You know, the first thought of my head was like, yes, they're listening. This is what we needed. Something in black and white from the institution to say, this is what we expect from you, from our leaders, from our resources. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just wanted to make that point. Like you said, things things are trending upward and there is hope. And yes, we will fix this. Um, we just have to be patient. But in the meantime, right, before things get better, we can we can pay attention to what we consume, right? Like you said, caffeine, dopamine. Um, so let's 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 take the brakes off of that, you know, because we we tend to use those things as a coping mechanism. So what we can do, right, is be mindful of what we consume and we can start consuming positive things, right? Like like this podcast or cognitive behavioral therapy or self-help books or, you know, books about the brain. And so I, I love that, you know, you said that and that you guys are also promoting that message. Okay. So Matt, um, I, I, I uh, saw some of your posts on uh, your LinkedIn profile and, and, you know, I just, I really like the message that you kind of send and something that I took a, a, a liking to, and I just really was captivated by was your take on like families and operational readiness. Um, and so I wanted, you know, to, to ask you to kind of get into more about that sentiment and, and that belief, and maybe even just provide some advice to uh, our sailors and service members out there, you know, that do have a family, because you seem to really kind of prioritize um, not only how the individual service member is feeling, but also how that can affect their families and how, how their families are feeling. Totally. So there's two parts to that question. The first part is that from a national security context, if we don't take care of the children of our service members, we will erode our force. And what I mean by that is if you read the newspaper and you look at recruiting numbers right now, there's a bunch of reasons why recruiting ebbs and flows. It can have to do with like market economics, you know, lots of different things. But the one of the things that is statistically significant in our troubles with recruiting recently is people's perception that everyone that goes into the armed services will come out with PTSD or some sort of mood disorder or commit suicide. There's a lot of people that just think you're a broken toy if you went and did some sort of military service. And I would never subject my kids to that. So therefore, I'll never let them join the military. And so it's negatively impacting our recruiting numbers now. If you go one step further, you realize that an extremely high number of service members are from families. And by extremely high, I mean like over 75% are from families that have like either an immediate connection to the military or sort of like one and a half sort of level of connection. So that's such people, a great point. I never thought it, of that. They don't, I mean, yeah, people aren't joining the military that don't have a family legacy of military service. So if you don't take care of those kids and give them the mental tools that they need in order to have the strength, durability, courage of thought process, all those things, if you don't do it when they're kids, then you won't be able to field a functioning force when they're adults. People are not joining 
uh, in the way that they once did. So we have to go to them. And so Brad's and my company, that's a huge part of it is making sure that it is deliverable to wherever you are. We meet you where you are in life. And then if you are, are benefiting from this in some way, then go for it, create a community around it. But we have to, we got to take care of the kids because from a national security standpoint, there won't be, there won't be that critical non-commissioned officer corps that we talked about earlier if we don't. And then like the second part of it is just that like, you gotta be good human beings. <laughs> you know, you just, it doesn't need to always be like a national security discussion. So that, that brings me to my next question about kind of the root cause, you know, when it comes to, you know, the, our armed forces now and, and even the future, if we don't get to the root cause of what's causing these issues, then um, we're going to be in trouble for a long time. So I, I wanted to ask, you know, your perspective about what the root cause in the military is behind some of behind this mental health crisis or increased stress levels, or maybe these, these jaded, um, jaded service members and rightfully so, um, getting out and maybe projecting that negative message on our future. Yeah. So I'm going to answer this, the root cause. So the CIPRIC report, the suicide prevention report that just came out, one of its contributors is a man named Dr. Craig Bryan. And he wrote a really terrific book that's being talked about a lot called Rethinking Suicide. And he goes into detail about how suicide is not, we're not going to find one thing that solves it. It's one of those problems that has as many causes as there are people who fall victim to it. And so he, he defines it as, he calls it a wicked problem. It just means that if you, if you take care of one issue, then something else might rise up. So finding, like doing root cause analysis for it and trying to be reductionist and make it so that it's like, if we do this one thing, then everyone will be better. That's tough because it, it just ain't so. It's not one of those problems. But there are things that we can do that will eliminate significant numbers of suicides, like huge numbers. If everybody is intimately familiar with the principles of cognitive behavioral therapy and they implement it in their life before they get into a particularly stressful environment, then we will see a reduction in suicide. Another thing that we can do, and in fact, Chimney Trail is doing it right now, we're creating a little kit. So every year, uh, the military exchange services sell 113,200 firearms. To me, that is like a shockingly high number of, of guns that we sell every year. Uh, and 75% of our suicides in the military and veteran population are with a firearm. So if we can figure out how to disrupt the impulsive slide towards suicide in that firearm purchasing process, then we can make some gains there. Not trying to like take anybody's guns away, but instead put like a little locking device so that it makes you think twice about what you're going to do and introduce a booklet that talks about CBT or suicide prevention resources. Like, you know, those sorts of things we can do to eliminate it. But as far as a root cause, I think particularly our kids and I'm 40, which in the Navy makes me like a uh, gray beard, right? I'm like an old guy <laughs> in the Navy. But um, the, the kids that are in high school and coming into the services, we have to get away from this, the, the way that we talk about mental illness, uh, mental challenges. We have to move away from, hey, these kids just need to toughen up or 
you know, when I was when I was a kid, I built the log cabin I was born in, and I walked both ways to uh, uphill both ways to school. Like that sort of, uh, you know, suck it up buttercup mentality is like completely tone deaf because the kids now are experiencing some really sort of revolutionary challenges that previous generations haven't had to deal with. And so when you're looking at root cause, things that previous generations may have relied on to build this sort of resiliency we're talking about would be like the scouting programs or community events. And you can look at it throughout the country. Our communities are sort of uh, atrophying a little bit. There was a, a super heavy reliance on church, not even necessarily in like a spiritual context, but as a as like a creator of community and people's participation in conventional church functions has has uh, been declining over the last uh, twenty five years or so considerably. Um, yeah. So so you know when I ask what you believe are the root causes, you know I hear several different things. You know you can't pinpoint just one and. I, I hear that the root cause kind of starts with the children, right? And we have to protect their minds, but not only their minds, our minds. And another root cause can be that we we don't have many or we're not implementing many preventative um, preventative things, like you mentioned, cognitive behavioral therapy. And then lastly, you know, we talked about valuedness and self-worth, how that can be a root cause of, of this crisis. And I see, right, all of those things that you mentioned and that I just summarized fall under the umbrella of leadership. That brings me to kind of my next question. Um, I wanted to ask you and Brad kind of about the work that the Chimney Trail is doing um, specifically directly with Congress to kind of address this tool to the Department of Defense or bring this tool to the Department of Defense, if that makes sense. Um, okay, so a couple of things. Uh, the first thing is that we are putting together a curriculum, and ultimately, this is what we'd like to see. Instead of computer-based training that nobody's going to do and everybody hates, we want to go to boot camp or plebe summer, whatever the officer accession program is, whatever the throughput point is for our sailors. And we want to go and provide cognitive behavioral therapy training, not give anybody therapy, but teach them about the cognitive distortions that they are very likely to experience as they step off on this challenging lifestyle. At the end of that training, we're going to give them a kit. And inside the kit, uh, there is going to be a little time capsule that they can build to start their military journey. And this time capsule will address two of the cognitive distortions. And then over the course of their first year of enlistment, winter, spring, summer, and fall, they will get a new kit in the mail and the kit will discuss two more cognitive distortions. So by the time that you get finished with your first year in the service, you will have seen five kits with really cool uh, outdoor equipment that you normally get at some place like REI. So you feel valued and appreciated like, like you should. And that you'll also step through all 10 of the cognitive distortions so that you can overcome them. And then ultimately, we would like to make it so that each time you execute a permanent change of duty station, we introduce the curriculum again with different activities. So if you were to stay in the military for 20 years, you would see, I don't know, 
15 of our kits or something like that, uh, 15 to 18 of our kits, which roughly equals the number of uh, computer-based trainings that you would have to do over the course of your whole military career, except this is just a hell of a lot better than computer-based trainings. So, so that, that's what we're building long-term. But what's in front of Congress right now, uh, we put in an appropriation request to put together a kit that can be handed out at the purchase of each firearm at military exchange locations. And this is like a stopgap tool like people will immediately push back both brad and i they're like you're just you're solving the uh the symptom rather than trying to cure the disease in in what you're putting forward but people kill themselves with guns a lot and so what we're putting together is a kit that provides people when they buy a gun at a military exchange two different locking devices to create some distance between buying the gun and doing the act a booklet on cognitive behavioral therapy and a booklet with suicide prevention resources. And the proposal is $11.3 million to make it so that we can hand one of those kits with every single gun that's purchased. And statistically speaking, we should see an immediate uh, reduction in the number of suicides that our force suffers. So those are sort of like the, the two main lines of approach. One is creating a curriculum that people can benefit from throughout their entire career. The other is like, live one more day. Do not do what you're thinking about doing by purchasing this gun. And if you're there to purchase a gun because you want to go hunting, you're going to get the box and you're going to be like, oh, that's neat. It comes with a range bag, hearing protection, eye protection, and two locks. That's fun. But you don't need it from a suicide prevention standpoint. Um, but the person who does need it will get it. And we can eliminate uh, those suicides. And, and more than eliminate suicides, it's extending life for people that are good people. I mean, they're like service members that voluntarily signed up to defend our country. Like for crying out loud, if we can't save them, what are we doing? Right. And to your point about the, you know, the naysayers who think that, you know, um, oh, it's, I got to stop it. You know, you guys are just trying to, to cover up the symptom. It's like, well, that's not all you guys are doing. Right. Things. And I, I, I always like to say this because it needs to be said and, and remind people change takes time especially with such a large institution. So whatever we can do right within our scope to try and help, like that's what we're going to do. So I commend you both for, you know, doing this because I, I mean, I personally don't see it as a symptom. I say, let's keep doing whatever we can do to, to provide, you know, that, like you said, stop gap and save as many lives as we can before we kind of see everything come full circle. Well, so, I mean, thank you both. I'm definitely going to spread the word and I'm so excited that I got the opportunity to talk to you both about it. And then, so before, you know, we end the episode, I don't know if this is everybody's favorite part. This is my favorite part is the seed of triumph part. So I wanted to ask you both, you know, if you have a seed of triumph in your life, whether it's in the military or not. Um, and for you, Brad, whether it has to do with baseball or not, another um, aspect of your life, but just something that was really foundational to your development and, and, and describe your seat of triumph, which is a, a facing of adversity and which you had to overcome. And through it, you got stronger and ultimately triumphed. Uh, I guess I can go first. It may not be the best example. Um, I just think it's been my baseball career. Um, Early on in my career, you, you get the top prospect list, 
things were going well. And then um, every year they draft new players. They draft better players, hopefully. And you start to get pushed back a little bit. You know, like I said, I was on the prospect list and then I was performing the same, if not better than I was before, but I get taken off because you have a younger guy that uh, has the projection to be better. And you can either be upset about it and you quit or you try to prove to yourself that, no, I am better than that person and they're not going to outperform me. And though I never made it all the way to the major leagues, um, and I still suffer from one of the distortions of discounting the positive, I always say I only made it to AAA. And then everyone says, that's amazing. I'm still learning to get over that. Um, I am proud of how far I got because I did give it my all. And I do think that um, helped me build a lot more grit throughout my life. And I'm able to apply that to a lot more things than just baseball. And I'm grateful that, you know, there were those people that said you're not good enough or there are more people that are better than you because that only made me try harder and tried to be more disciplined in my craft. And like I said, it's able, I'm able to now apply that to a lot more things, apply it to chimney trail, um, apply it to being the best uncle, applying it to be the best boyfriend, just anything in your life that you want to be better at. Um, as long as you keep trying hard enough and you're disciplined, then you're able to achieve a lot more than you think. And so I'm grateful for my baseball career, no matter how it turned out. Thank you for sharing that. I know it can be hard to kind of be so vulnerable, especially with, you know, anybody out there that's listening. Um, but I did want to say, Brad, while I was listening to your, your story, I am thankful that, you know, you're here now in the position that you're in, right? With Chimney Trail to do all that you're doing as far as the advocacy. Sometimes I think that, well, not sometimes, all the time, I think that everything happens for a reason and everything aligns the way that it's supposed to, to do. And while, you know, baseball is something that you love and everybody loves, right? It's that American sport. Um, I, I'm glad also, you know, that you're here doing the Chimney Trail uh, company and are able to give what you're giving. I think it's awesome. And it's such a noble, courageous and commendable thing. So thanks. All right, Matt, do you want to share a seat of triumph? Yeah. So I'm like an old Navy warship captain. I'm not allowed to have any vulnerabilities, right? No, <laughs> no, I think so. I, I'll, I'll say it this way. Um, Chimney Trail exists born of Chimney Trail itself is a seat of triumph. That's what it is. So uh, when, so I had just left command and I was working with uh, NSW for doing some innovation work for them. When I got the phone call uh, that our tremendous officer had taken his own life and it would be a stone cold lie if I didn't admit to feeling like it was my fault in some way, because I think if you are a military leader in particular worth a damn, you really invest in your team and you take on, you probably suffer from some cognitive distortions of your own, like personalization and self-blame. Like, 
you know, there's some sailors that are, are going to be a handful, no matter how good a leader you are. Right. So, um, so when, when I got news of his suicide, I immediately put it on myself and that's totally unfair, uh, because we had a good ship and I like, we had this policy where we would meet every Monday morning, uh, and salute the flag together while the national anthem was playing. We would have a moment of like team camaraderie. It was kind of easy to do because it was, you know, on a mine countermeasure ship, it's not a ton of people. So we could all go out there and then we, we would, uh, talk about what we were going to do that week together, uh, commit to one another, like working our best for each other. And then as everybody would walk onto the ship, I would shake everybody's hand and look them in the eye, like every single sailor. So I can't, you know, with a little bit of hindsight, I can see, you know, there's not a whole lot more that you can do to be physically present and to be observant. You're looking everybody in their face definitely once a week, uh, which for a skipper is not always a foregone conclusion because there's a lot of competing priorities at that point. Um, but we did, we did our very best and we lost him anyway because he carried it in utter silence. In fact, if a chaplain would have come on and been like, Hey, Captain, tell me who we need to worry about. I would have pulled this guy in to help me think of somebody. I, I wouldn't have thought it was him. So that was a, a period of real vulnerability because I thought that I was like, maybe it was a delusion of grandeur or some sort that like I could somehow escape this just out of good leadership, right? And that it didn't have way more to do with the folks that are suffering than it would any anybody that could potentially come in to help. And the the seat of triumph is uh, we decided to act, and it was like like Bradley's story about having a rough game and being like I'm done, and then putting one foot in front of the other and getting back into it. Uh, that's what we did with Chimney Trail. It was we basically took that young officer's energy and we transferred it into this company, and we're hoping that his story. Uh, and the story of the far too many that we have already lost and certainly will eventually lose uh, gives us the energy that we need in order to really grow it. Um, we're a we're a for profit company, uh, not because Brad and I are like you know Scrooge McDuck. It's because we want to make a ton of money and reinvest it into this problem to make it disappear. We want to uh, destroy this as a threat. Uh, and it takes resources to destroy this threat. And so that's what we're going to do. Um, and I am confident that we will triumph. I am also confident that you will. Uh, thanks for sharing that, um, Matt. And again, I can't say thank you enough for you know the work that you're doing. Um, I think it's amazing. And I can't wait to to see where it goes. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Seeds of Triumph podcast. Thank you as well for all of your support and stay tuned for a new episode next week. As always, if you would like to view our mental health resources, please see the episode description. There you will find a resource handbook full of mental health um, providers, nonprofit organizations, as well as some book recommendations. 
Additionally, if you would like to contact the Seeds of Triumph podcast, you can email us at seedsoftriumph.podcast at gmail.com. And lastly, if you would like more information about the Chimney Trail Company, you can visit them at their website in the link provided in the episode description. Thanks again, and be sure to tune in next week. The views expressed by the speaker and all guests are not those of the Department of Defense, United States Navy, or any other government agency. They are strictly those of the speakers who do not speak for any other organization or entity. The speakers are not mental health professionals and do not intend any of the content of this podcast as mental health advice. If you need professional mental health advice, please seek out your closest military or civilian mental health providers immediately.